five, four, three, two, fun. Welcome to another episode of the Ready, Sit, Poem podcast, your premier podcast covering both the Toronto Defiant and the Vancouver Titans. I am Chris at Lightforce, joined virtually, as always, by Omni at Omni Strength and Jordan at Sir Dr. GM, also the host of the One Man Watchpoint podcast. Welcome, gentlemen. Hello, hello. Do, do I sound like a cyborg or something? You don't sound like a cyborg, but you do sound somewhat muted. Uh, well, that's something... Uh, entirely different, but I did have like some sort of uh, issue with my filters on on Logitech. There's there's just this G Suite where you can apply filters. So I was playing around with it, mm-hmm. and I logged into a work meeting with that on. Unfortunately, today it was quite embarrassing. <laughs> oh, so it, like we're talking like that, you know, Zoom court during the pandemic when the lawyers like, yeah, I'm not a cat, yeah. Still figuring this technology out and all. I think I think also I shouldn't be as muted as I was before. Oh. Correct yeah. me if I'm wrong. You are so, not. You are you are perfect. much much louder. Too much? No, no, it's perfect. Awesome. That's that's how we, you know, troubleshoot during recording. That's uh mm-hmm. it's great. Right. Sounds good. Great podcast. great episode, everyone. Talk to you later. <laughs> well, I mean, before we go, we should probably drop the interview in. And, you know, for those who listened to us last week, we did share that uh, Adam Adamu uh, from Overactive Media was going to join us this week. Uh, I mean, quote unquote, this week, his segment, my, the interview that uh, we had with him will be live shortly. Uh, I had an hour long conversation with him and we talked about all sorts. We talked about the Toronto Defiant. We talked about overactive media. We talked about the Overwatch League scene in general. And as Adam is very transparent um, and very informed. I mean, I, I love what the opportunity we get when he joins us. I wish he could join us more than once a season, but uh, he is a, a, a busy fellow. So he'll be coming in shortly um, before we get there. However, um, as I described to uh, Jordan before we hit record, uh, the Overwatch League scene, more specifically the Vancouver Titans, have had a series of days, is the best way to describe it. And as you have probably heard from the three of us in the past, the topic as to which that we were going to talk about is not a nice one. Um, I don't do this often, but I do want to provide both a content and trigger warning to those who are listening. Um, when we do get into, um, you know, moving the payload, we are going to talk about the situation that has transpired uh, with former Vancouver Titan Aspire. And uh, some of the details, while maybe not explicitly shared on the show, are definitely explicit and um, difficult for, for many to to hear about, consume and, and read. So please understand that we will do this as best as we can in a respectful way. Um, out of respect to the, the victim in the matter. And I do want to stress that we are talking about this at the start because I feel this is an important issue to discuss, but I also don't want it to take away from the broader conversation that I'm going to have with Adam. That conversation took place before any of this was known. And not that Adam would have been in a position to address the specific allegations. I can assure you a much broader conversation of how teams can better prepare their young players for life 
from a, a mentoring perspective, life skills, and just ultimately how to be a better person. So, I mean, I would have talked about that had I known of this, and unfortunately, uh, I did not. So, uh, without further ado, let's start pushing this payload. Moving the payload! Join me! If everything that we had said just moments ago is news to you, let me give you a quick rundown of what has transpired over the last uh, 24, 48 hours. Uh, on Monday, uh, a Twitter account um, uh, exposing Aspire uh, released a document that outlined over a matter of months uh, a relationship that developed between um, this victim and former Vancouver Titans. And I say former because he has been released. Uh, Vancouver Titans member Aspire. Uh, the victim um, was a minor, remains a minor. And uh, she and Aspire had a relationship develop. That relationship uh, ultimately grew into one that became intimate in nature. And while the details are very expansive, um, the fact of the matter remains Aspire, as an older party, um, has been accused of grooming a, a young woman. I am not a lawyer. I'm not here to go and talk about the merits of legality. Um, this has been talked about by so many. What I am cognizant of is that these are allegations that have been made against Aspire. But I am one who chooses to believe the victim. And I strongly feel that should the victim wish for this to be pursued, they do so. And that pursuit could very well be through a complaint and a potential criminal conviction that takes place in a court of law. As far as whether what happened being right or wrong, I wholeheartedly believe what Aspire has been accused of is wrong on every level imaginable. And I have to be honest with the two of you. The fact that this continues to happen in the esports scene in the Overwatch League, um, but even more broadly, in you know meat sports, junior sports, sports in general, that this happens time and time again should be indicative of how we as a society and a culture still have so far to go to become better human beings. And I, more specifically, to to aspire, you know, he has made some seriously poor decisions in his young life. His decisions have had a much broader impact on those around him. And that's not to take away how this has impacted uh, the victim. Ultimately, her life has changed as a result of this. And it is so, so discouraging to see this happen time and time again. It just takes away from so much positive that could potentially happen because this negative is amplified and it is amplified accordingly. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. It's, uh, it's, you know, I'm, I'm very upset and extremely disappointed, of course. And, you know, you, you mentioned this point about this being very common in, in sports and, and and esports now because that's the the area we're in and it's really a sh it's a big shame that people suck you know and celebrities athletes whatever they're not you know 
other supposed role models are people too and and why is it so common well it's you know the this is probably the most upsetting part is when fans especially you know younger ones and this is a big big chunk of of esports fans are really younger uh fans and minors are there they're so much more susceptible right to be victimized by people who have this you know fame influence whatever you want to call it so of course obviously grooming is wrong and and uh, especially with minors right that's kind of the definition but when you are in a position of power when uh people look up to you especially younger ones and you're you're supposed to be a role model right people want to be where you're at you're you're at the top 1% of whatever like game or sport or activity you're 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 competing in and a lot of people um get a- attracted in a way that like puts them puts them at risk and unfortunately it's it's hard like i wish i had all the solutions maybe there needs to be more more protection right there needs to be more awareness of how you know often that thing happens right because mm-hmm. we we all see that happening again and again and again at, at what point do we make a change obviously right now it's aspire before we had other uh uh people um Obviously, there needs to be some sort of change or some sort of, uh, uh, you know, step that can be taken to ensure that we can somehow mitigate that that huge risk that younger fans are, are you know, are placed in in this in this environment. Yeah, there's there isn't a ton more for me to say. Um, I agree with everything you guys have said and. It is unfortunate that uh, these kind of thing hap- things happen. Um, obviously, it's not the case that they only happen in the Overwatch League, but the difference is the amplified stage that a lot of these young people are on. Um, you know, they 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 and everyone should know better and be better. And uh, yeah, it's just a, a an awful situation all around. Uh, the thing to that i i look for is the move forward moment and what can be done better like we can't go back in time and rectify this i mean the solution here is that aspire learns what is right or wrong and maybe he had and he made a very poor decision and then continued to make poor decisions for that we'll never know Another piece of this puzzle is how the uh, quote-unquote Vancouver Titans management knew about this for months. Hmm. So I want to pause here and talk a little bit about this term, Vancouver Titans management, because we on the podcast will have referred to it. And that's because to us, it's very nebulous. The Vancouver Titans as an organization, another word that can be nebulously used, um, exists in the context of what we see with player operations, team operations, but also within the business side, marketing, social media, what have you. Now there is a parent company, Connect Sports and Entertainment, which we had believed had no longer been in the picture. But what I have more recently learned is that they have always been there. They simply had a, a operating partner involved as a go-between. And for one reason or another, that relationship was good for them. 
but it sort of created this cascade of problems. Now, any organization worth its weight should have some form of uh, organizational behavior and policy around it. In this particular case, I would presume the Vancouver Canucks uh, or Canucks Sports and Internet, sorry, not the hockey team, but the actual parent company does. And I would like to think that that policy is in place for this type of reasoned in that broad sense. Now, what happened here is if the Titans organization knew who, I mean, there are names that are being shared uh, within the context of some of the, the direct messages that have been screen captured. The timing, unfortunately, is unclear, though, if we were to accept that timeline that's been talked about, it's in the past six months. If that person was told something, did they go and follow policy or procedure? Did they run that up a flagpole? Did they tell their boss? Where did the policy breakdown occur? Because obviously nothing had happened about any of this until now. If I were to give you a guess as to what has occurred is the parent organization connect sports and entertainment has become much more involved, much more hands-on. They actually have a person. You can go to the you know, Canucks.com website, which is again for the hockey team, but it represents a lot of the operational staff. Uh, and there is a gentleman who is the um, chief of business for esports. And, you know, he has attended league events. Could it be that he is now much more in, intertwined and learned about this yesterday? <clears throat> and what ultimately occurred was within 24 hours, uh, the player was released outright. And in regards to business, whether you have made your mind up or not, you need to talk to the party as to which you're going to uh, to relieve of employment. There are legalities involved. We might not like it, but business has no heart. So when people go and say, well, the Titans org is problematic, I have absolutely no problem looking at CSE and saying, hey, you're the ones who made this bed. Whether or not you were sleeping in it or not, you let others you know, sleep in it and you unfortunately have to deal with the uh the you know fact that that has happened under your watch i feel that that's fair but i also think it's unfair to suggest that nothing happened was there a failure in process that resulted in this and I, again i'm going to share a, a personal um example um, one that i actually shared in in rsp cord uh, in a previous role of mine um, i was a a trainer uh, corporate trainer. And I had a, a class of relatively new employees. And one of these newer employees, um, quite publicly in front of the class, accused the other of harassment. This had never occurred in any of my classes. I'd never dealt with this type of situation before. In fact, if I were to even hazard a guess, the training that I would have received along how to handle a situation like this would have been rudimentary at best. What I did know, however, as someone who worked in this training space, is various HR policies, one of which dealt very specifically with how serious harassment was to the organization. So my immediate response was, upon hearing about this, contacting my direct manager, my direct director, so my manager's boss, and upon not hearing from either one of them, within the hour, I involved human resources. Because I identified that I did not possess the skill set to even try to tackle what was in front of me. I needed help. Now, let's say I took another look at this. Yeah, hey, you know what? 
I think I can handle this. Let me see if I can negotiate and I can bring these two parties together. And maybe it's a, it's some simple misunderstanding. Honestly, I don't think that would have been the best approach in this situation, but I genuinely could have tried to help. What I have learned in my years, sometimes your genuine efforts to help just create a much bigger problem, much bigger mess. Now, the other caveat to this story, my leaders, both my manager and my director asked me, why did you involve human resources so quickly? That seemed like an unnecessary escalation. So take what happened to me and apply it to this particular situation. Was the informed party in that position where they were told it was an unnecessary escalation? Or did they more genuinely think that they had the tools to deal with this? Didn't? Like, we don't know. And I feel that for the organization to move forward, they need to investigate where did our policy fall apart? And if someone was informed and truly kept it to themselves, therein lay an issue and some further remediation needs to take place. Whether it's someone being terminated from an employment perspective to further training, coaching, and support. I don't know. I'm not the guy to give that answer, but I feel that this does need to be looked in deeper than what we are, or at least have been told will happen. And we should note that the tweet and announcement that came out from the Vancouver Titans said there would be no further comment at this time. So it leaves it open that there may be further comment down the road, but I think they would have done better to say, we take this seriously. This player is terminated. While we will not be commenting any further at this time, this is what we are doing, period. And again, maybe that was implied because from a legal standpoint, you generally try to say very little. Come out and face me. So as mentioned earlier, I'm pleased to be joined by friend of the show. That's that's the first title, friend of the show, uh, but also the uh, interim CEO and chief strategy officer, co-founder, overall pretty cool guy, uh, Adam Adam. You might know him on Twitter as at Grayson. Uh, welcome, Adam. Welcome, and and you forgot as part of my title is avid Ready Set Pwn podcast listener. Well, so. This is true. Thank you for that. I, I actually wanted to, to share a story. I was thinking about this um, when you reached out to me and talked about maybe us uh, connecting and how I remember when, when RSP got going in that sort of uh, second Overwatch League season, but the first season for the Titans and Defiant, uh, I see this follow from this Grayson guy who claims to be like the co-founder of Overactive Media. And I remember talking to Sam and Alex at the time saying, hey, do, do you think this is actually the guy that you know, owns the defiant and is involved. And I mean, some, a caveat here, uh, Francesco Aquilini, for those who don't know, he's like the guy who owns Connect Sports and Entertainment who may or may not still be involved with the Titans, have absolutely no clue. He follows me on Twitter. Never once has he ever said boo to me. And I honestly think maybe his people somehow made a mistake. So I'm maybe a little jaded. Then at the end of that season, You provide an unsolicited note saying, you know, thanks for doing what you do. And you don't understand how that meant the world to me, because when it comes to this podcast, it is it is a hobby. It is sort of something I take pride in in doing. Um, And I know I was immediately I was sitting in an airport in Seattle coming back from client meetings. I get this note. Uh, and I'm like, wow, I'm messaging Alex, messaging Sam, like, hey, this is the real deal. He follows us and he actually listens. And then I'm thinking, holy smoke, someone who's high up in the Overwatch League actually listens to our podcast. 
what kind of embarrassing stuff have we said? <laughs> uh, well, you know what? Thank you. Thank you very much for that. And I'm, I'm glad that I made an impact in a small way there. Um, look, I think, look, what we do is for the community, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, people that are avid enough to basically have a podcast, okay, are, are among, um, you know, the, the biggest fans that uh, are in the community and that we want to reach and that we want to engage with and we want to promote and we want to have more people like that, right? And so it, it, it sounds, and, you know, again, it made an impact to you, but I would think, of course we would do that. And, and I think we did that. I did that in particular, but, but overactive, you know, with the other podcasts that were up here in Canada, like our, our mission is to build and grow esports in Canada, in particular with this team, uh, the Overwatch League. And, you know, we want to be out there in the community. And, and one of the things just kind of, um, really briefly here, uh, when Chris Overholt was still here, the previous CEO, he was, he was with the Raptors when they launched back way back then. Mm-hmm. Um, and part of that thinking really comes from him. I'll give him uh, the credit on this in the sense that he told me a story about when, when they started up the Raptors, they made an effort to be out in the East Coast. Uh, you guys had a team in Vancouver, so they really didn't spend a lot of time over there at the time. But over in, in, in Atlantic Canada, they did their kind of training camps and their boot camps, and they also spent some time in Quebec. Um, and over the time, as we can see, the Raptors being the only team in Canada in, in the NBA have become Canada's team. And when we made the run um, for um, the NBA championship uh, a number of years back, that was as we were forming um, mm-hmm. the Toronto Defiant and, and, you know, kind of this organization – and I remember I was actually out there looking to raise money at the time. And I was in Montreal uh, for one of the playoff games for the Raptors. And if if anybody's not from Canada or doesn't understand the rivalry between Montreal and Toronto in sports, I mean, we generally hate each other in every sport. Mm-hmm. Um, and I could hear cheering. Like I was in the cab going to the hotel. I had landed and there was cheering and there was noise. And I, I basically said to the driver, like, what is that? Like, what's going on here? And he said, oh, there's a big watch party for the Toronto Raptors in the kind of the, the city center in Montreal. And I thought, like, holy cow, <laughs> like, like the Raptors are big in Montreal. Like that is like an incredible accomplishment. And I think – and so that being part of the formative uh, components of, of the Defiant and Overactive really kind of, I think, pervaded our culture, right? And, mm-hmm. and I think – and I think I'll give the Raptors run and Chris Overholt a lot of credit for that. And, and look, we, we love our fans wherever they're located in Canada. And certainly are, we want to show respect and love for the biggest fans like you guys. Well, again, we, we definitely appreciate it. And it, it's something that has meant a lot to us. I mean, I think we've been very candid about how our, our relationship with the team we started with, the Vancouver Titans, has been up and down. Um, I think that's going to get better. And well, it, actually, to that point, it sort of has. We've started to see an adjustment with sort of who's there, um, and and that has been been good. But if there is something that's been consistent throughout our tenure as a show, uh, is you and the team with Overactive Media, Toronto Defiant, you've you've always been good with us, uh, good to us, good with us, um, and we we've greatly appreciated. But um, I'm pretty sure our listeners aren't here to to hear about uh, my. Uh, thoughts on on podcasting they're here to hear your thoughts on what's going on in uh, in the six in the big smoke um actually 
Is it called the Big Smoke in the Big Smoke? I mean, I, I know I'm out so. west we don't here. Call it, we really don't even call it the Six either. We just call it Toronto or Teo yeah. uh, over here. We can tell that somebody's a tourist when they kind of say uh, something like that. Or when they pronounce the uh, city as Toronto, then we go, okay, so where are you from? Oh, see, I would say Toronto. like Toronto. Yeah. yeah. But, kind I, of just get rid of the T, the second T, and mm-hmm. just kind of it's Toronto, and then you sound like a local here. Okay. Well, I mean, I but I'd also then say the six and the big smoke, and I I'm from Vancouver. I am a tourist. Yeah. How would you know? Yeah. But um, <laughs> you know, I think it's fair to say that when you look at the Toronto Defiance specifically, maybe the season hasn't been going to where expectations had them. Uh, you know, placed. I mean, we, we on our show, when we did our, you know, power rankings episode, which is just powered by science. We're the only podcast that uses pure science, uh, to actually make it happen. Uh, we, we had Toronto, um, elevating themselves from years past. We were very confident in this roster. We had had this conversation, um, with, with till that had us, um, motivated. We got to speak to Casares, what he was selling, we were buying. And then the season gets underway. And that first weekend, you know, it was like, hmm, maybe that was a, you know, you know, not the best. It was a one and one, but there were some points where it's like, ah, you can iron those those issues out. A few weeks later, those issues remained, and as we saw, you know, did have an opportunity to get themselves into the the playoffs or into the midseason madness tournament in in Korea. Unfortunately, but down in the losers bracket uh, by at the start was a tough draw to begin with. But things didn't quite work out. So, am I am I fair to say that expectations weren't met? Um. Well, I would say yes. I would say yes, uh, broadly speaking, mm-hmm. right? Um, I think the expectations might have been a little high on behalf of most of the rest of the world. Um, but uh, I think, uh, at least for the season start, right? And and then we had the pro am, I think, and we did pretty well in the pro am. We eliminated Boston, mm-hmm. and. Um, I mean, quite honestly, that was the best performance we've ever had as a franchise, as as maybe limited as that might be. Um, I think we finished top four, and I, you know, if you can show me we finished top four before uh, in anything, I can maybe take some of that back. But I mean, it was a it was a very strong start, and I think we could have done better. I think we were um, uh, eliminated by Florida three and zero, and and that kind of hit a wall uh, at that time. But you know, it was a promising start. Um, mm-hmm. I think, you know, flipping into the regular uh, part of the season, um, we, I think we have had a meta that was unfavorable to us. And, and I think other teams have kind of dealt with the meta, you know, the meta and the, the adjustments that you needed to make. Um, you know, that's, I, I don't say that by way of excuse, but I, I, I do say that by uh, way of the fact that it's, it's just, you know, you have, uh, you don't have multiple players in every position, and if if you know part of the meta is something that doesn't work for your cadre of players, uh, then you're going to perform you know kind of a little lower than you might in some other meta, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think that that had us a little concerned, but you know at the beginning we thought, as everybody does, look, we can figure this out because we've got the talent on the team, and I and I do think we have the talent on the team. Um, I think the loss to the shock. Um, the very first game uh, was, um, was was kind of a critical um, kind of failure point there. Uh, look, one of our kind of fundamental beliefs here is that like the mental component of a, of a game is, is, is 
more important than just the mechanical skill of the players. And the group of players that we have, um, and, and, and we do quite a bit of, you know, kind of personality profiling and so forth, uh, can be very momentum driven, right? And our view was, and again, this is kind of from the top down where we kind of look at the team and the squad and the personalities and the players. We thought this is a team that can kind of go really strong, positive momentum, but if it goes the other way, it can kind of spiral in the wrong direction, right? And that initial losing streak had the opposite effect of everything that we were kind of hoping would happen, right? And, and turning that around, you know, once we had a meta that we weren't, you know, kind of particularly strong in relative to our strengths, and then a bit of a losing streak, right? We kind of, I think, started off 0-3. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had some tough games, I would say, in those first three. Like, it, it was one of those things of a perfect storm of, you know, if you want to kind of break our mental, okay, do that. And yeah. it, 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 it happened. And unfortunately, uh, we struggled to kind of break out of that uh, kind of negative reinforcement spiral. And as you could see, we, we probably ended up weaker than we started uh, the season. And I would kind of, I would say most of that is, is just, you know, the players uh, stop believing in themselves uh, as much as they, they should. And, you know, there we were. Yeah. You talked a little bit about maybe expectations from the outside being maybe higher than sort of internal. I'm not suggesting that it was, you had low expectations, yeah. but is it possible that maybe the talk contributed to that? Cause I'm, I'm a firm believer that if you start sort of believing that in sort of, you know, what the uh, others might be saying or what the noise might be contributing to, it can mm-hmm. sometimes skew the message internally where, Hey, here's where we are. This is what we need to work on and forgetting that. Well, I still need to work on it. Mm. I really can't speak to that in terms of, you know, what goes on like in the training rooms over here and, and what they think when I talk mm-hmm. to them, they would ask me like, what are your expectations? And I would say, well, my expectation is to win a change, right? If you want something less than that, you got to talk to somebody else. Um, but, uh, but, you know, I think, um, I think my expectation was that we would have, you know, the best non-Korean roster. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, um, and I'm not sure how the best non-Korean roster can do against the all Korean rosters that we have out there. It, that's really kind of more of a macro kind of thing in terms of the players and the skills. And what I was hoping to see, and I, and I, I still hope, and I believe that we will see this is that I do believe we've got the best non-Korean roster. I think we underperformed. Um, you know, kind of at, at the beginning, there was never an expectation that we would always be completely non-Korean, but we did have like a base of Western players. And my view, you know, is and kind of continues to be, even with the changes that we made, that, you know, how good can a team that is not all Korean do in this league? And in, in the best case, it would win, right? Everything. And I think that would be a terrific story, both for the Defiant and for Overwatch. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not clear that that is doable, right? If you were to say for me, to me, for example, you know, can a non-Asian team win League of Legends? I would say, well, all of the expectations that I have based on watching the games is probably not. Like, we're going to try, and mm-hmm. we've got a team that hopefully is going to be in the World Championship, but we just were at MSI, and we got swept by the Asian team, and we have the best team in Europe, right? So how good can that team do uh, is, is kind of the way that I was measuring it. And I would say... I think we could do a little better than we did. And I think that my expectations are that we will improve in this next phase. 
but we, you know, it, it would be a very lofty expectation to basically come in and say, hey, we're going to be better than most of these all Korean rosters that are kind of essentially super team uh, right off mm-hmm. the gate. Well, you know, speaking to the the compositional roster, we are now going to see a, a blended or mixed roster in, in sort of a move forward uh, state. A question we actually were talking about on, on our podcast last week has to do with uh, having both opener and Spectra in Toronto. Is that the plan? Yeah. Um, and I mean, you probably know better than us. I mean, how difficult is it to obtain sort of a visa to uh, mid-season? Not too hard? Not too hard? Yeah. Okay. And I mean, not, we... not too hard for Canada from okay. Korea. Okay. So Korea to Canada, we've got mm-hmm. proper, you know, treaties and all of that kind of stuff. So, so you do have to go through a process and we've got, you know, kind of dedicated uh, immigration legal counsel that kind of helps us with that kind of stuff. And obviously we've become very good at it with all of the, Korean players that we've had over here over the yep. years. So uh, so that is doable. I mean, from China, uh, from Saudi Arabia, for example, from, from other countries where we don't have those kinds of treaties, as you see, it has taken longer. But I, I don't expect there's going to be much of a delay for those guys. Okay. And, and again, more out of curiosity, because we have seen, I mean, other teams have, have these issues. I think it's becoming more prevalent as, as mid-season changes occur. Um, mm-hmm. Speaking to the mid-season changes, um, there are some in the scene, and I think it's fair to say that they've heard, you know, there's a two-year plan, here's the roster we're going to build around, and then they see change. And this is this is not to suggest that change should not occur, but to those who bemoan the fact that change seems to be constant, especially when it comes to roster composition in Toronto, um, what would you say to those fans? I, I would say, I would say we, um, I would say that we've, let our fans down on that perspective. Uh, you know, I don't think the, like the plan that we've implemented is not the plan that we planned. <laughs> okay. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but, um, you know, look, Overwatch is, has been a, a tough game for us to figure out. And, you know, vis-a-vis the rest of our game, uh, we are in nothing like Overwatch, even though we've been in it, you know, kind of for as long as anything else. Right. And, you know, when we take a look at, um, at the other games, the talent is, is more localized. The LEC, which is the League of Legends in Europe that we participate in as the Mad Lions, is mostly European talent. Uh, we've actually added on a Korean player uh, recently uh, as a rookie who is doing outstandingly well over there as well. But it's, it's mostly European talent, and you play in Europe, uh, and you, you understand the rules of how to kind of put that together. Our Call of Duty team um, is, is mostly Western players. We, we just actually lost in the grand finals of Call of Duty. Um, but it's mostly a European base of players that we've kind of decided to kind of structure it there, which kind of helps with the scouting and, and the talent development. Um, and again, it's mostly Western players uh, in, in a Western market over here. Um, in Overwatch, you have effectively a North American game uh, in terms of where we're playing, mm-hmm. but the best players in the world are Korean, right? And... Um, it, you know, you kind of go back and forth with respect to, you know, do you want, you know, do you want to just put together the best team that you can, maybe like Atlanta is doing, uh, and, and kind of try to win it from, from that perspective? Uh, or do you want to basically have like a particular kind of identity? And I think part of our changes has been, you know, that trade off between identity and performance. And 
you know, we switched from identity back in the Surefor Agilities kind of era, if you remember that, uh, mm-hmm. as we went into COVID to kind of the performance side back to the Korean uh, component for a couple of years. Um, and I, I think we underperformed our expectations during, you know, that era. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then we kind of switched, uh, back to, to this kind of plan, really driven by, uh, Kisaurus and, and his kind of team. So, yeah. um, so, I mean, again, I, I, I don't, uh, I don't have much more to say, you know, kind of beyond that, other than, you know, we, we could have been, should have been better. Maybe there was kind of confusion in terms of how to best build a roster. A North American roster full of, of non-North American kind of Asian players. Um, but, uh, you know, we're going to keep trying until we figure it out. And one day we're going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. And everybody's going to say, um, hopefully, you know, uh, it was worth it. We also have the benefit of being in Toronto, right? So, I mean, it is part of the Toronto culture to maybe underperform, uh, lost the expectations at the beginning of the year. So, so, you know, maybe part of our identity is just to be a Toronto team from that perspective. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I can think of a, a hockey uh, reference there. Um, but I, I would wonder in, at least with hockey, it seems like expectations are very high. Meeting them is, is the struggle, yeah. but in fairness, uh, from the perspective of where I sit, I would be happy if I had a team that had high expectations and struggled to meet them, but still did very well. I yeah. think, you know, that's as a fan, that's what sort of what I would, I would look for. It's the do really well, maybe not get what we had defined that we were going to have, but do well. well. You know, what's more frustrating as like from when you're sitting in my seat, uh, is, is like I, one of the factors that I look at, um, just uh, out there is, is what is the performance relative to the salary that you're paying? Right. Mm. And, uh, you can have, um, you know, high performance against that metric. And there's, there's offsets as well because you can kind of overperform your salary payments, um, but not get the, the reach in terms of because nobody knows the players and, and they're kind of all, uh, rookies that you're developing, let's say. Right. Um, or you can go for like super teams and underperform. Right. And, you know, we've seen that, uh, happen in many leagues. I don't believe that super teams really kind of generally work, uh, the way that people want, particularly if you're bolting on players from different organizations and trying to basically get the best of everybody and put them together. Um, but I would say what's frustrating for me is that we've generally underperformed what we've paid, right? Uh, which, you know, when you're, when you're paying for performance, like when you're basically saying, Hey, I'm going to set a budget that is, you know, X among the average salaries for the teams in North America, I want to get the performance back, right? And if, if we're under delivering, then your, your kind of, your lifetime or your career length is shorter, right? It's the same thing with any kind of, uh, with, with any kind of sport or other kind of, you know, talent-based organization. And I say this to, to coaches and players, like the more you get paid, okay, the, the less patience we have for underperformance because you're really expensive. Okay. And so, and so, you know, that in terms of our various iterations, I would say we've kind of underperformed, uh, what we have, what we have basically expected. And that kind of brings, you know, our patience for, you know, how long they have, um, shorter, right? 
And when the decision is made, hey, this team is just not going to make it. Like we like we're paying X and this team is not going to make it to the performance that we're paying for, then you can continue to pay it and get the underperformance and be frustrated, or you can basically say, Okay, plan B, plan C, plan B, plan E, right? Mm-hmm. I think this year, um, you know, I'm 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 reasonably uh comfortable with the amounts that we're paying. So it's not like a situation where I think that we're paying an extraordinary amount of money beyond the performance that we're getting. Um, but, you know, we're not at the optimal level. Like I would look to teams like Florida, like and I was mentioning this to the guys in Florida when we were in Vegas because they've got a Call of Duty team as well. And I would say, like, you guys constantly outperform the, the relatively meager pay that you guys have. And you know, I just want to tell you that I noticed that and, you know, congratulations on it. And it seems like it goes under the radar because Florida doesn't have like a big profile. But mm-hmm. in both of your games, you guys generally outperform your your salary. And that's like that's a positive thing. I think in Call of Duty and League of Legends, we're in the same kind of ballpark. We outperform our salary in uh, in this game. As part of not figuring it out yet, I think we're on the wrong side as well or have been in the past. So, you know, to bring up Florida and sort of how you're talking about the performance to you know dollars ratio is obviously um different i mean what is it what's the secret sauce maybe that they they've figured out like is that something where you're like hey we'd like to maybe find out what type of ingredients they've put there or is that something that gets i mean i I don't imagine it gets shared i presume it would be as you know secretive as the seasoning that goes into kfc chicken uh okay so here's uh here's i don't know this for a fact here's Mm -hmm. my speculation as to what florida does okay so Florida doesn't get in the bidding wars with anybody, okay? So they wait for all of that stuff to get done, mm-hmm. okay? And then they see what's left. And then what they do is when the bidding wars are over for, like, the biggest, most expensive talent, right, everybody else starts getting a little nervous that they might not have a career next year, right, or mm-hmm. that they might not get caught or that they might not be in a situation where they want to be, right? And of those teams that are in that category, there's maybe – in North America, there are maybe six, right? Of those six, Florida is near the top for destinations that the rest of those players want to go to, okay? And there's enough other players that are in that category, right? Once some of these top guys pay the big bucks, right? Um, that you can build a really good team. And so what Florida does is they build the best team of those uh, other players. Uh, Florida is a great place to live and you basically get to live in Florida if you're um, if you're on that team because they play from uh, Florida and it's got low taxes and no income tax on the state level so so there's a lot of benefits to being in Florida and they've just learned to basically optimize uh, on that basis and so um, yeah so I, again that's what I think they do and I think mm-hmm. they do that very well we typically you know we typically are out there kind of competing uh, for uh, you know some of the more expensive talent and then we kind of uh, backfill to kind of get to our budget, and um, and, and I mean that hasn't worked. <laughs> so yeah. you know, I, I give you reasons, but I, I just it hasn't worked as well. And um, yeah, you know, again, I, I I don't have regrets. I mean, like you, you don't know what's going to happen until it happens, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, you gotta. You, I mean, like I, I could deny the fact of you know, five seasons of performance and basically say that I'm super happy and that we did everything perfectly. Or I can say, okay, the results speak for themselves. That's what I would say to somebody that was reporting into me. Like, you know, I love what you're doing, but here's the stats. Right? Yeah. So. Gotcha. Um, 
you know, talking a little bit about, you know, Canada and, and, and Overwatch here, um, the release of the, the summer stage or summer schedule uh, took place. We saw that there are going to be two battles of Canada, which I think is a, a bonus, uh, though the counter to that, which we're hearing quite a bit, is that you see an unbalanced schedule. So from a competitive standpoint, um, strength of schedule is a term that is being thrown out left, right and center because the perception are some teams have a obviously softer strength of schedule compared to some of the, uh, the, uh, you know, San Francisco shock. I'll use them as an example. Like people are like, Oh my goodness, look at who they get to play and how they're going to perform. And then it's, you know, Toronto or Vancouver, much more difficult. They have to play each other. I'm all for it. Bias of all, but, but what do you say? I mean, before we talk a little bit about the battle of Canada, like to that, to those who are talking about this scheduling, like it's not balanced. Yeah. And, 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 you know, unless you play, you know, every team at the same time, the same mm-hmm. number of times, it will always be unbalanced, right? Because teams improve or, or get better or worse over the course of a year. Um, you know, when you start putting together the, the schedule, you don't even know probably what the rosters are going to be. So you have to kind of take a look at what the rosters were like and the performance was like in the past, right? Mm-hmm. And so but that's a very difficult job uh, for anybody to do. Um, I don't think, you know, there's no kind of plan out there to, to – you know, stick it to any teams. It, it, you know, I think it, it happens, uh, hopefully randomly. Um, but you know, it's, it's something that if you are a good team, you need to deal with. Right. And I think, you know, in, in the Overwatch League, a good number of players make it into like the group slash, you know, kind of playoff, uh, side, uh, like we saw in, in, in the first, uh, stage there. There is a big benefit to being obviously, you know, kind of in the double limb uh, bracket as opposed to the uh, single loss bracket. Um, but it, you know, a tougher schedule should even out in, in, in kind of that, you know, kind of group or playoff stage uh, because you, you probably have been toughened up by it, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and you should be able to kind of average it out. Again, it's not perfect. I, I think people have, um, people are right to, call it out and and you know it is absolutely true that it's not kind of fair um but i don't know that it i don't know that it is an easily an easy solve i I think from where we are you also have to kind of take a look and say you know you do have to have a, a mix of um a mix of teams playing each other that is appealing to the viewership side as well right so so if there's teams that are kind of grouped together in categories in terms of popularity you know, again, it's also an entertainment product, right? So mm-hmm. you have to kind of, and so like, again, I guess maybe it's not a good answer. Like it is what it is. It kind of sucks. Sometimes it works against us. Sometimes it works for us. I hear this sometimes from our team. And I just basically say like, that's, you know, if you're good enough, you're going to figure it out. And, yeah. you know. Yeah. I think, you know, and this is something that we've, we've heard more so in, in recent times where, you know, Overwatch League is in the entertainment business. Um, and you're right. I think, it is important to have a schedule that um, defines some competitive um, matches, but also ensures that what people want to see are what they're able, able to see those who might counter this. Well, they'd say, well, look at how the structure of the playoffs might work like midseason madness, top two teams book their ticket. The next four teams got a double knockout. The bottom four teams, it's a congratulations on getting into the qualifiers. We're already going to notch you with a loss. You're in a single knockout. And I think 
when you're a fan of a team there and the Vancouver Titans, Toronto Defiant found themselves in that sort of bottom half, that's a lot of adversity to have to work through. It's a gauntlet. And you're right. To be the best, you got to continue to beat each and every one of the teams that you face. But every team can have an off game or an off day. And I mean, I, I go back to that first season. I mean, the San Francisco Shock won a grand final where they were upset and seemed to have a significantly sized chip on their shoulder. And they then yeah. ran the gauntlet to, you know, decimate the Titans in, in the final. Yeah. So it, it, it can happen. I just, you know, I, I wonder if there is some fairness to the, that argument. I, look, how many teams are in North America right now? Do we have 12 or I think there's 13. 13. Yeah. yeah, 13. And so, you know, 10 of them make, okay. I mean, that's, a, that's pretty generous. I would mm-hmm. say, like, you play the whole kind of stuff. I mean, there was five games in, in that kind of qualification side. But, you know, I mean, that is relatively generous. And so I would say I look at it as basically six teams um, kind of qualify through. Um, if you take a look at those six teams that qualified through kind of – sorry, if you take a look at those six upper teams that, that were there, I don't – I haven't gone back and, t- and, and took a uh, – you know – gone through the strength of schedule and kind of detail, but they're probably, it's probably right. Those are probably like the six top teams in this region. Right. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else has to basically struggle to kind of try to uh, move their way up. So th- that kind of speaks to my point that yes, there's a, you know, there's an issue there, but it doesn't seem to be a situation where clearly inferior teams are, are sneaking in because of a, on the margin. Yes. Okay. In total, no. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know, again, it's good enough for now. Like, again, you know, we can kind of look to the future and, and kind of adjust it. I think this is kind of somewhat odd year because we've got the Overwatch World Cup and we've got, you know, kind of a whole bunch of things kind of interest first uh, in the middle um, that I think, you know, they had to kind of plan around. So, so it's probably not optimal. I will grant you that. Yeah. Um, Battles of Canada. So we have two of them. And these are always, at least historically, great matches. I mean, even in the Titans reckoning season, um, that was a that was a close fight. I mean, granted, you know, Vancouver went and stole Shockwave from uh, uh, underneath you, pulling him out of. Uh, I think he was up in Montreal at the time. Your your contenders team, and you know, pro- provided a great performance. Like I, I think of these these matchups, and one of the things that I always found kind of surreal or interesting is that when I spoke to you know general managers coaches leading up to this season oh who's your biggest rival never once did Vancouver or Toronto say Vancouver and Toronto this season Casaurus is like yeah we had a chance to take on the Titans yeah we win uh and then uh Baroy, um I think it's very apparent who he would want to uh to to succeed um for reasons but it got me thinking has there ever been talk about putting sort of more on the line than just bragging rights? And I mean, I, I look to soccer or football for those who are more refined. I mean, you've got the, the Voyagers Cup in, in Canada, the top Canadian team wins. Uh, and then if we think in the Derby sense, um, there's, you know, we have a, a supporters trophy uh, out west where uh, the Seattle Sanders, Vancouver Whitecaps and, and Portland Timbers play the top team of the three wins the trophy so has there ever been discussion like even between the two teams to do that uh yeah that's been discussion i think so first of all i think i think vancouver is 
is is coming back in terms of the mm-hmm. Titans. Okay, I I believe that they went through kind of a bit of a down period, uh, as you guys have all kind of are aware, right? Uh, beginning really with the end of that initial dynasty that uh, they had put together, um, and I, I think they've gone through internal changes. And and you know, remember the people that are kind of hands on. Uh, with the Titans now are the people that run the other, you know, kind of Canucks and the other teams in that kind of conglomerate, right? So, mm-hmm. you know, at the beginning, they had outsourced that, I, I believe, to Luminosity. And I think over a period of time, they've kind of detached that. So Luminosity mm-hmm. still has like a small ownership there. But I think control of those teams has gone back to the local people here. And if you remember, like Luminosity was actually based in Toronto here yeah. out of Enthusiast Game, right? So, so kind of hard right and if you're if you're the management group over there like you've got these guys and it's kind of like they don't know like why would i talk to you like i got these guys over here in toronto that are kind of running that maybe you were going to the wrong people right uh unbeknownst to you right mm-hmm. so again i'm not saying that's 100 percent true but that's kind of partly my understanding of, of of that um organization and i did get to spend quite a bit of time with, with that local ownership now in Vancouver, in Vegas, during uh, the Call of Duty um, championships. As you know, the same ownership group owns the Seattle Surge, uh, which plays out of Seattle. Um, and and so Colby sat beside me for most of those kinds of meetings, and, and we had a, a chance to, to kind of talk quite a bit. Uh, I got to know him, and I, 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 I really believe that they have um, opened up a, a lot more to kind of esports and and their view and their involvement uh, in it and their willingness to do more things in Vancouver. Uh, I strongly encourage them uh, to do that. And you know, I think if if that ownership group is is more engaged and more willing, um, I think that we uh, will probably have a more open and willing partner to do stuff. Uh, back over here, which we would love nothing more uh, than mm-hmm. to do that. And so, and so that, again, that was really eye opening in terms of like, uh, you know, those meetings in Vegas, it kind of like, first of all, I think we liked each other. And secondly, there wasn't at the ownership level, like we're not at the point where we're competing for players and performance. And yeah, we want to beat each other, but at the same time, we're comparing like business strategies, like, you know, how did your, how did your, uh, um, how did your live event go? Like, how much did it cost? Did you figure it out? What did you use, right? And, and you know, what are you guys doing for your watch parties in Vancouver? And how is that working? And, you know, they would ask me, how does your facility work? What teams do you have? And so, like, being able to share that from a Canadian perspective, where we've also got kind of some common sponsors now as well in, in, in groups like TD, is, is, is much better not only for both teams, uh, mm-hmm. the ownership groups and the fans, right? Yeah. And I think... Again, I'm not going to say that Vancouver was ever gone, but if you feel that Vancouver was ever gone, Chris, I would say if you feel that way, I feel they're coming back. Uh, and so that's a good sign for everybody up there. Yeah, no, I mean, I would have to say I felt that way. They're much better. I and mean, we, we were sort of talking before we, we hit record that, you know, things are, are, are starting to change. And I look back to sort of the, the coordination between the two near the end of last season where there was, a, I believe, a, it was the Battle of Canada where it happened. There were sort of competing watch parties. It was like almost like a coordinated experience. Yeah. Um, and that's what I would love to see more. And I, I, I look to, you know, what Houston and Dallas used to do. They 
I can't imagine would be doing it any longer with the Battle of yeah. Texas. But there was there was a real rivalry, a sense of community. Both fan bases really got involved. And I know distance makes that a little difficult for us here in, in the Great White North. But I think I would love to see sort of that coordination. So if you're telling me it that. sounds like it's going to, I would love to, do to that. occur. I would love to basically schedule kind of, you know, head-to-heads in front of like uh, uh, either like, you know, what um, – Again, and excuse me for talking mostly about the CDL and these things because we just mm-hmm. finished off that season. Uh, but, you know, the Minnesota Rocker actually had – what they did is they put together like a mini camp in in, uh, in somewhere in Missouri, I think. It wasn't even in Minnesota, right? And they basically um, had two other teams come in to uh, a small little venue that they had. Uh, it might have been Kansas City, actually. So they, they put together like a little venue there. They, they, uh, Florida and maybe Boston both mm-hmm. kind of flew in and they had like a, a little mini tournament there, right? Where, where Minnesota played first, they played Florida and then they played Boston, right? So, so Minnesota played two games once uh, against each of those teams. Uh, they might have actually maybe even played both of those teams twice that weekend, but, um, they had, I don't know, maybe like 700, 800 people there, right? It wasn't super expensive. It wasn't, uh, you know, it wasn't like uh, our majors or our, the event that we held over here, which was a bigger thing. But it, based on what I heard back from the rocker management over there, like that worked very well for them. It was, it yeah. was kind of tight. The budget was good. They created a really strong fan experience, and everybody kind of left uh, satisfied. And I think I would like to do something like that, beginning with, you know, kind of Canada. Maybe you bring in you know, kind of a team like, uh, you know, New York or Boston or whatever that kind of has a bit of a rivalry too. And, um, yeah, that'd, that'd be, I mean, I'd love to do that. And it's just a question of finding the time and also having the Overwatch League schedule things. Like you have to do that before the start of the season. So you could say that weekend, we're going to schedule around that event. Yeah. Well, I, if you need an idea for a place to go, Jordan would be the first to ask for Calgary. Do it kind of like, uh, well, hold on a second. Calgary is kind of closer to the wrong coast. I would say we'd probably well, have to do it like Winnipeg. Well, I mean, Winnipeg, I, Winnipeg kind of kind of tilts for Toronto or Vancouver. I'm not really sure what the culture is there, but I think I know people in Winnipeg, and they definitely cheer for Defiant over. I don't okay. think I don't think Vancouver is necessarily popular in Winnipeg. If anybody's from Winnipeg out there, kind of let me know. But I think Winnipeg tilts for Toronto rather than than Vancouver. Yeah, I don't know. So I mean, just do if, you were, if you were going to do it, though, it would probably not be something you'd want to do before the start of the season because I believe the weather conditions no, would be... No, yeah, that's true. But but it is nice. Florida. Winnipeg is nice in the summer, I would say, the one mm-hmm. month that they have. Yeah. <laughs> um, on the topic of, of live events... Uh, we, we asked this question of, of Sean when he joined us at the start of the season. Like, hey, we saw a lot of success with Return to Land in the season previous. And in Toronto, you yourselves got to host a phenomenal event. Again, we might be a little bit biased because it was the only event where we got pulled in from afar. Like, just so the listeners don't maybe know this, uh, the Toronto Defiant organized essentially a like post-match press conference experience through Discord. They brought in those who were present, those who were virtual, uh, which I honestly don't know of any other team doing. And it's something like I know on our show, we've been suggesting to the league, like professional sports leagues do this. They have a, you know, 
some means to get connected, whether it be through stream or what have you. So, you know, credit to you. But when we think about the live event experience, there is something magical about having people, you know, watching these players on stage. There's a pop. And we look at this season and, and we know of at least two events that'll be live. I can manage in the grand final would not be. We just saw obviously the midseason madness tournament live in Korea, which was, I think, a, a great opportunity to take the league home. I know that's not home, but, you know, in the sense of, of the competitive side, but we're not seeing that return to land. Is, is that something that, that may never occur to the extent that we, we, I know we won't, won't see the traveling. There's an expense there, but they're just, it seems to be lost when everything is virtual. It is. And I, I, I don't think, um, I don't think the current uh, model for the Overwatch League is the model that you know we should have forever. I would say mm-hmm. you know I think it's it's we've tried various things and again I think this year um, uh, I think Activision really wanted to kind of go back to the Overwatch World Cup and and so they had to kind of make move uh, room for that uh, in it as well and I think the the World Cup is is a is a tremendous I mean even before the Overwatch League in the early days that was always a big draw as well so yeah. I think that's there but I think. Like the current model um, for Overwatch League is not as good as the current model for the Call of Duty. League. I mean, it's just well, that, kind of, you know, that was the so, comparison I had in so, the notes. So we do have a comparison, and I think mm-hmm. you know, I would I would much prefer that we go to, uh, in fact, for other esports as well. Like the Call of Duty League, we did five majors, and you could argue whether it should be four or whether it should be five. But I think somewhere in the four to five is is the right amount. Um, Included in that was like a pro-am, you know, kind of uh, for the first uh, major, I believe. And and then you get seeding points for each major, and then you get qualifier points for each uh, uh, non-land game, right? And and then that leads up to, you know, kind of incredibly good storytelling, right? Because who won major one? Is that the best team? You know, how did that do? There might be roster moves after each major if teams kind of got disappointed and so forth. Then you go back to your qualifiers. Well, the qualifiers are a different narrative because they're online. And then you can kind of see, well, do online games matter as much as the land games and then the audience? And then you kind of farm that out to teams. So, you know, Toronto hosted a major. uh, Boston hosted a major. Each one has its own kind of look and feel. Um, And and you just have like a, a great cadence of storytelling uh, you know, for each of the majors going out to the champions, uh, to the championship game. And, you know, like I was saying, okay, so that model, guys, do that model, okay? And maybe if you want to do four majors instead of five, uh, for various reasons, that might make sense. Maybe if you want to kind of work in the Asian market as well by doing something in the midseason, uh, you can do that. There are challenges to that, of course, because mm-hmm. travel and, and, you know, like going to Korea – time zones, travel, and all of that kind of stuff really puts a big hole in the middle of the schedule. But, you know, I mean, okay, like you got smart people there, uh, Sean. So, you know, figure out that schedule and put it together. And I think um, I think that's a better model. I mean, again, I not to take anything away from the wonderful nature of the Overwatch League, but I, we just came off of the Call of Duty League majors. We had a great major over here in Toronto. Uh, I would like nothing more than to do the same over here. And I'll also say, like, I say that it's the same thing over to the LEC guys in Europe. Like, they've they've actually switched it, not because of the Call of Duty League, but but to something more similar to that. 
So mm-hmm. in, in League of Legends in Europe right now, what they're doing is they have effectively three majors, okay? And so there's a champion for each one, just like in the Call of Duty League. You get points for each one, just like in the Call of Duty League, and then you have a championship at the end, right? So they've decided to do three plus the championship. Um, and that that's working much better than it has, uh, you know, kind of in previous years. In fact, it's working so well that I think most of the other regional leagues in League of Legends are looking at Europe and basically saying, huh, we should do the same thing. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, again, it's, it, I think you're, you're onto something. And I, again, I use that call of duty comparison because you have a quote unquote, you know, parent operation, two siblings, one does it this way, one does it that way. And I would think there would be learning shared, but it just seems to be that call of duty has got the, the events figured out and would love to see more in the Overwatch League. But I will concede, I mean, Call of Duty is a Western operation with London um, being sort of the further east, right? Whereas uh, Overwatch is But all of the teams in Call of Duty are also based in North America, right? It's much Ah, easier. Yeah, even London is based in North America. So so it is easy when, you know, you have everybody in the same continent uh, for, for these types of things. Um, it also kind of reduces some of the travel and the other things that you don't have to come from overseas. But look, you know, that is, you could see that as being either a strength of the Call of Duty League or a weakness, right? And yeah. likewise, you know, the international nature of the Overwatch League, I mean, that's not a weakness, that's a strength as well. And, you know, there are models that you can use that basically take advantage of the specific strengths and weaknesses of each of the games. And mm-hmm. um, uh, look, I... I you know, speaking of Call of Duty, and, and again, it, it kind of is, uh, you know, this is not a Call of Duty podcast, but, you know, the viewership for the Call of Duty League has skyrocketed up. Um, and a big part of that is is it went over to Twitch for the 2023 season. And, you know, co-streamers have come in to the Call of Duty League. Very good endemic co-streamers for there. So, like, we see other co-streamers for games like Valorant, for example, which... Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of like overpower the actual broadcast itself by the viewership. Like in Valorant, I've seen where the co-streamer gets like 90% of the viewership, right? Which is, yeah. to me, it's like too much, right? Um, in Call of Duty League, you've got like endemic people like Skump, who's a former player, and uh, Zuma, who's a former player. They've got competing podcasts of co-stream uh, at the same time as the games. And that really engages the community. And that's done a terrific job for growing fan interest in the game and expanding uh, expanding it. And I, I think Call of Duty, which is effectively like a perennially North American game, like it is the biggest game in North America, yeah. mostly American fan base, and it is slowly becoming the number one esport in North America for a number of reasons. A, it really fits, you know, with U.S. sponsors and, and kind of uh, gamers. In particular, it's it's controller-based. There's no other game like that. And so it's found a, a really good little niche there. Um, and having said all that, okay, if Overwatch were also on Twitch, I think it would be bigger than Call of Duty, right? Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's reasons why with respect to money, okay? But, you know, Overwatch... Uh, is finding a good niche for itself on YouTube. In fact, I'm actually quite impressed at, at how good it does on YouTube uh, relative to how badly Call of Duty League did on YouTube. Like the transition uh, for Call of Duty from Twitch to YouTube was not as good as, as we're seeing uh, for Overwatch, which means that the core community for Overwatch is probably uh, more passionate than the core community mm-hmm. for, for Call of Duty. But 
Overwatch, if you had co-streamers and the other things there, would be a bigger game in my view and uh, than, than Call of Duty. And Call of Duty is growing. And I think, you know, that keeps me optimistic for... Uh, for Overwatch, even though the narrative sometimes isn't very positive. Like, if you kind of go behind uh, the narrative, the narrative for Overwatch is actually pretty strong. Uh, my understanding of, of the game base is actually very good. Like, you know, we don't really talk about that, but it's actually really good. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of passionate people that complain uh, about a lot of things, but I do think there is tremendous upside in Overwatch and Overwatch League from where we are. And I guess, you know, you'll probably want to go to it, but that's kind of part of those discussions that we kind of released that we've been having with Activision Blizzard in terms of, like, how do we better unlock some of that? Mm -hmm. And, I, you know, does that connect to sort of the, the announcement that came out on June 5th where, you know, over Activision and, and, and Activision Blizzard or Overwatch yeah. at least had come to an agreement? Um, I'll be honest, in, in reading the release, um, it was very broad in its approach so i'm not entirely sure what it all adds up to you're obviously much <laughs> yeah. smarter than me and probably also were more in tune with what was taking place but yeah. i'm curious like what does that mean for the future of the toronto defiance yeah okay so i mean the press release is you know it's like um has to be approved by multiple parties right mm -hmm. so you have to kind of like you know there's different messaging that has to kind of go out depending on who you are um, and so that was not my first draft. Okay. So, but it goes through reviews and, and we've got obviously Leah here who does a great job on our, on our PR and investor relations and stuff like that. And that's kind of where we landed. And I agree that it is you know, somewhat confusing. Um, but, um, it's actually not very complicated, right? Um, we, um, we agreed to kind of various different kind of components, right? Um, and, you know, while the press release talks only about Toronto Defiant, because I can only talk about us, I can't mm -hmm. talk about all of the other teams, you can imagine that in a league with franchises that the other uh, teams are, are, you know, probably going to get the same deal that Toronto gets, right? Um, so, um, so they come in, in components, like the first component is, um, is um, kind of short-term money up front. Okay, as you know, for, for a lot of esports, you know, I won't even say for a lot of esports, this whole thing about esports winter is nonsense in, in, in a lot of ways, right? Because, you know, the same negative factors uh, that apply to esports apply to anybody whose customers, uh, at least in part, are big sponsors, okay? Um, and I, I know that you were kind of, uh, had to, find another job over the last little while because I follow mm -hmm. you on Twitter as well. You know, there has been downsizing. Okay. There has been reductions. We see particularly big companies reducing staff. And when you get to the point where you're going to be doing that kind of a thing, okay, you're probably also reducing your ad spend. You're reducing some of your sponsorship. You're looking at your stuff and you're basically saying like, where can I cut stuff? Okay. Yeah. And, um, and, and so we sell sponsorships and you're going to be basically faced with, with those types of reductions. Um, uh, just like sports teams are, just like advertising agencies, company, all of that kind of stuff, like it affects everybody and not just mm -hmm. esports. Okay. So, so those factors I think are transitional, right? It's the economy goes up and down and, uh, you know, you got to kind of deal with that in the short term. And then in the long term, hopefully it'll come up 
And if it doesn't come up, it won't be just esports. It suffers. Like there's a whole bunch of other guys that rely on that kind of money too. Maybe even more so than esports. Um, so the one component is is you know some uh, additional investment by uh, by the league in in the teams in the form of some of the revenue uh, sharing agreements that we have. You know the sponsorships that I think was announced and so forth, which I think is a is a, is a tremendous example. Of um, of the league and the teams working together, I think we are we are not only Call of Duty League ambassadors, we are Overwatch ambassadors. Okay, mm-hmm. and and our teams help to promote the game to the community, and I think it makes sense for us to have a partnership directly with with the game Overwatch as opposed to just the league, right? And so those are tremendous kind of one part of the agreements. The second part is um, you know kind of the franchise fees that are still payable uh, to the league uh, have been adjusted um, as we kind of go forward. Um, and there's a plan to basically deal with those um, at some point that we can kind of look to and plan around, which is obviously very important for everybody's balance sheet. Um, mm-hmm. And then there's a plan to basically uh, do some of the things that we're talking about in terms of reviewing, you know, league structure you know what are we doing how can we basically improve it how can we basically uh you know let's look at this with fresh eyes and figure out you know if we were starting right now you know what would we do differently and and i'm not saying that that means we're going to do everything differently i'm just saying let's begin with that like is there a better model and do we want to go there or do we want to go somewhere else and let's kind of figure that out from a planning perspective um you know, as a pass going forward. And I think, I think that's, that's, uh, I think that's a great idea. You should always be doing that as a business. Okay. Um, you, you should never kind of get stuck into whatever your sunk costs are. Like we, we're going to do this because we've always done that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think it is very refreshing to basically say, Hey, you know, part of this strategy is we're going to look at things and we're going to see where we can improve. And we're not going to have any preconceptions in terms of, uh, you know, kind of anything that is untouchable. Like, we'll talk about it. We probably won't do it, but we should talk about it anyway, right? Um, and I think, you know, those three things are what the agreement basically comes to, that first part, the fees part, and this plan going forward part. And, you know, that leaves me incredibly optimistic uh, for for uh, Overwatch and the Overwatch League. I, I, you know, I, look, the, the League isn't where we wanted it to be when we started, that isn't because of dumb people or, or bad planning. It's things evolve in early stage industries where you're trying to create something new. Things change over time. It's been five or six years actually for most of the other guys in the league. Uh, and, um, you know, it's, it's time to basically say like, what is different from what you expected? And let's do things differently, you know, with the realities that we have today. And, and that's great though, that Activision and Blizzard you know, want to want to have those discussions. I am a hundred percent certain that they uh, uh, have a very strong commitment to to the Overwatch League, to esports, um, and that and to building a path forward. And uh, like I said, I, I think it was a tremendous success to basically have an agreement where we can figure that path out together. Cool. Um, you know, speaking of sort of evolution and change, um, I want to talk about yourself for a second. Uh, since we last spoke, you have uh, inherited the title as interim CEO for Overactive Media. Um, Chris Overholt had 
had uh, found his journey, took him him elsewhere. Uh, out of curiosity, what does this new lens require of you? Because then you are co-founder, chief strategy officer. Uh, for all intents and purposes, in our perspective, you are the guy. And I know under, yeah. in the organization, obviously, there's you had a guy that you had to report to, too. Yeah. But what does the new lens of an interim CEO require? Well, it means that I do all of my work and all of his work. Mm-hmm. And now I do both, right? So mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> um, seems, seems straightforward because we didn't replace him, right? So therefore, you know, you win. Now you have more work to do. Um, so no, I can't. Look, I'm, I'm uh, obviously, you know, kind of um, I'm, I'm a co-founder along with a few other people that we kind of, you know, figured this out many years ago. Kind of, hey, we should do this. So I'm obviously very personally and emotionally and financially invested in this. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, you know, uh, Chris, uh, when he joined us, he was there from the very beginning as well. And, you know, Chris and I uh, worked as, as partners more so than, you know, kind of uh, any, any kind of other structure. And Chris, um, Chris was responsible for building out, you know, the business team, uh, let's say. Um, I was more responsible for kind of figuring out the direction of, of you know, how we wanted to position uh, the company in the market, and, and then also kind of, you know, the operations of the team, right? And um, and so now I'm more involved also kind of in the other business elements, which like I was on the executive committee and I, you know, I was aware of all of that stuff and the budgeting and the marketing and the partnerships and all of that stuff. It's not like that stuff is new to me, but, you know, at the end of the day, I could kind of go there, say my part, and then go back to do my job and let Chris handle that. And mm-hmm. so now... I have to kind of listen to all of that. And then I have to handle that as well. Uh, but I've got great people that report into me that, you know, really know what they're doing. So um, so I would say I'm more involved in those business elements. And, and so as a result, I'm a little less involved in some of the team side. I'm always going to have an interest in the teams, obviously. I think that's the heart of what we do. Um, but, you know, Till, uh, who you had on your podcast as well, um, you know, started with us many years ago, kind of as a marketing assistant and kind mm-hmm. of, you know, moved his way up. He's still a very young guy, I think still in his late 20s, I would say. Uh, but he's done an extraordinary job, you know, first, you know, in the marketing side, then, you know, as as working with the League of Legends team in, in Europe and then, you know, kind of really proving himself up over there and then running our European operations. And now he's actually added... The, the global operations for the teams to his uh, mantle as well. And Till and I see eye to eye on, on a lot of stuff. And I know that Till can handle that. I also know that when Till can't handle things, I will know about it, right? It's not like I don't get surprises from Till, right? Because mm-hmm. he manages me very well, right? And that's a good lesson for, for everybody out there. You not only want to manage the people that report into you, you want to be able to manage up, right? And when you manage up well, that gives me confidence. And frankly, that allows me to focus a little bit more on the business side without without losing our performance on the team side. Okay. And I, you know, I know you're you're a passionate fan of what it is that you're doing. And we see you active on Twitter. Um, when you say something, I know specifically in Defiant Chord, there is then a 400 comment conversation over the true meaning of what Adam is implying or, yeah. or feeling. So, I mean, it's and not I did something... it on purpose too. So good for them. 
it's it's not something I could say we see from from other organizations, other teams, at least the ones that I pay attention to. So I mean, I can imagine how much more you're probably doing, and that's sort of why I talked about the lens is that you, it wasn't as if you weren't doing enough already, and now having to do this and how you would manage it. So it's good to hear, you know, that you are also you know leaning you know heavily on on your team. Like Till is an example. We had a, ch- a chance, as you said, to talk to him, and I was really struck by how his journey had been so far. Um, and I think this sort of goes to a question I wanted to, to ask you, and I'm I'm kind of remiss for never asking it before. You know, let's say, you know, a much younger version of myself were to want to get into the business end of esports. Um, you know, any tips that you might provide someone like me? Like, I think one of them you just talked about is if you get into that sort of management role, understanding how to manage up as well as manage down. But are there others that you could provide? Uh, well, it, you know, it depends on on where you're starting from. Right. So if you're still, you know, in high school or, or university, um, I would say like you shouldn't be looking for skills required for esports. Right. The skills required for esports are the skills that are more broadly required after. Right. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so I would say you want to develop, you know, those broader skills and those skills could be, you know, anything from, Finance skills, if you've got a passion for that, to marketing skills, to uh, to sales, right, to content, video, like all of those things that we do are what esports is, but it's not exclusive to esports, right? So, so what you want to do is, is first you want to follow your passion, right, and and your passion should not be necessarily esports. It is what you are doing, okay? Because if you're coming to work for me and what you're doing is videography, and you hate videography but you work in esports, you're not going to like your job, right? Because you're doing something that you don't like, even though you're in an industry that you kind of are passionate about. So, so first and foremost, you got to basically find your own identity. What do you love to do? And, you know, playing video games, unless you're a professional player is not what we do. Okay. Like we, you've got a lot of people here that like video games. Don't get me wrong. And it is a great place. If you want to kind of talk about the, latest Zelda title or Diablo four or, you know, final fantasy 16 is coming out. I think it just came out. So like, if you want to have conversations with people that like gaming, it is a great place to be, but you don't actually play games here for a living. Right. So unless you're a player. So, um, so, so like follow, like you have to find that passion, but at the same time, if you are younger and you haven't found your passion, that's okay. Like you don't have to find your passion at a particular age. Like it doesn't happen at 17 or 23 or even 33. Right. And so like, you know, if, if you don't feel like you know what you want to do, like you want to be in esports, but you don't know, um, I don't like accounting. I don't like finance. I don't like selling stuff. I don't like, you know, all these things. I just like video games. Okay. Then that's okay. Maybe you haven't found that thing that makes you passionate. And maybe you just got to basically try a bunch of different things until something really clicks. And for most people, right, it's, oh, I really like this all of a sudden, right? And once you find out what you really like, then you can kind of try to figure out how that fits with esports, okay? And then network and talk to people. I get lots of, uh, you know, kind of direct messages and LinkedIn things. And I apologize to people that reach out to me. I typically do not respond back. Like, I, as you can imagine, I get a lot of those types of things. And getting into kind of dialogues with everybody is just really hard, uh, especially since you have to probably say no to the vast majority of those people. And that's mm-hmm. not fun either. But I do occasionally get back to people. And it kind of is random. Like somebody kind of – and then I will get into a discussion and kind of mentor them a little bit. 
but that that tends to be kind of uh, my advice to people as well. Like keep sending those invites to people that you kind of want to connect and net, network with. Don't be disappointed if hardly anybody gets back to you, but just keep plugging up, be respectful, you know, kind of follow up. If they haven't responded, understand that they probably saw it but didn't want to respond, right? And so like don't harass me or them for it, right? But, you know, keep doing that networking thing. And if you're good at what you're doing and you're networking properly, that's probably your best in, right? And and that also benefits you kind of career-wise in other things if you don't get into these sports. Yeah, cool. Um, if you're ever in the hunt for a chief podcast officer, I might know a guy. Hey, you know just, what? Just what you got to do is you got to go to LinkedIn and send me a message and see if I respond. <laughs> <laughs> Um, we're, we're, we're short on time here, but, uh, I, I, a question I have to ask you, um, other than Overwatch, what, uh, games are you playing? I mean, last time we spoke, you were playing destiny. It was pretty cool. Uh, you, you paused the game to actually nah, you know, talk destiny. with us. Yeah. No, um, I've, I've, I've moved on from Destiny. I don't like destiny anymore. I've had my time with that moved on. Um, right now I'm really kind of digging Diablo four. Right? Okay. I just unfortunately don't have uh, enough time for it. I do play it. I don't know if, uh, if uh, many of the fans out there have a Steam Deck, but I got a Steam Deck uh, maybe at the beginning of this year. I love that device. It's, it's really cool. Um, and so it's great, like, if I'm traveling or somewhere else, uh, like in Vegas, um, you know, I can kind of take out the Steam Deck and play some Diablo 4 by the, you know, kind of uh, while I'm sitting in the sun, which is pretty cool. So Diablo mm-hmm. 4 is, is good. I've got uh, – I'm embarrassed to say that I've got uh, – you know, kind of the latest Zelda game and I've hardly put any time into it. Just by the time I kind of got around to that, Diablo 4 came out and then I got into that and then, you know, that kind of ended up on the backlog. Uh, so I would say, I would say those Diablo particularly right now is kind of like the main one that I'm, I'm playing if I'm not, uh, you know, if I'm not working. Uh, with respect to the games that we participate in, like they're really competitive and I'm not very good. Right. So mm-hmm. like, you know, I, when I play overwatch, you know, kind of, I get flamed too much. Um, and then <laughs> you get flamed in, in overwatch. Imagine in call of duty, right. Cause there are nine year olds over there that are flaming me. And yep. then in league of legends, um, you know, league of legends is, is I will play team fight tactics, which is kind of like the, the mobile kind of battle chest type thing. Um, but, you know, I'm more of a spectator of those games than I am uh, a player. Yeah. Yeah, Call of Duty is just far too frenetic for me. I like Warzone where I can move so slow because that's my speed. Give me yeah, the RPG Warzone, speed. Yeah, Warzone, I can kind of hide. I can, I'm one of those guys that kind of hides until the end and then tries to get a couple of shots out. So Yeah, that, that's me. Like <laughs> my, So my squad that I, I used to play with, because let's be honest, they want speed and I'm not it. The yeah. thing that they loved about me is that I was always the last one alive and guaranteed I would do the crazy stuff to bring them back. Like I was the, every squad needs that guy. I was yeah. that guy, zero kills, one death, you know, but when you, you needed know, someone to pull it off in a clutch to bring yeah. everyone back, I was that guy. Well, you know, kind of expectations versus reality. Like one of the things I thought, you know, kind of starting this stuff, I was thinking, you know, it's kind of pretty cool because like you've got like, these really good players around here, right? These guys, you know, if you look at the early teams or the teams where we had, you know, the agilities and the surefores and the other guys over there, you know, they're going to be around and I can play with them, right? So they can kind of bring me into their thing and, you know, like how cool would that be, right? Yeah, they don't want to play with me. I mean, nothing, no disrespect, sir, but... (laughs) 
yeah, yeah, yeah. Down. <laughs> yeah, there's not much playing with the players. I mean, it's just yeah. like you have to also understand, like the levels are just so different, like relative to them, and even like a very good non Overwatch League player, never mind with an old guy like me. So. Yeah. Well, I, I can I can speak to sort of what content we saw out of the Titans last few years, where a player with a Vancouver Canuck would then take on each other. It was an interesting. Uh, dynamic where you'd have someone on skates that had never really skated before in a yeah. hockey rink all done up, but then, you know, flip the script and, you know, the hockey player is dying out of spawn and they're not exactly sure, like, did the, is the game not working? Like, did I press pause? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's how quick things happen. Uh, anyhow. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. But as always, it's it's great to, to have you on our show. And I, you know, as always, took more time than than, than was allocated. But uh, before we, we let you go, I mean, are there any final words you wanted to, to share with the listeners? I think we've I think we've pretty well hit on everything uh, that uh, I can possibly say without getting myself into trouble. So we'll see it. It's OK. <laughs> I don't mind. Like I'm looking forward to the uh, to the rest of the Overwatch League season, you know, for the record. You know, I will be cheering for Team Canada over uh, Team USA. I mean, look, when when it's time for the Overwatch World Cup, we cheer for the right team up here in Canada. And that right team is Team Canada. So looking forward to that game, and I'm looking forward to the rest of the season uh, with everybody here. Cool. Well, thanks again. I mean, you can find them on Twitter at Grayson. Uh, we're going to take ourselves a short break here before we dive into the fray. It's just a crappy situation. And then, you know, the other side that just upsets me is how the pile on of, of so many in the, in the community have, have chosen to take pitchforks and, you know, hit others with it. Like Vancouver Titans discord has not been a good place to be someone (laughs) who were to go and suggest, yeah, this is bad. This needs to be sorted out. This needs to be investigated. I hope it's not true, but it's not looking good. Oh, you support such and such. So someone who said, like, honestly, I hope it's not true. It doesn't look good because they can acknowledge. I don't know the whole picture. This is this is bad. All sorts of bad. They're being, you know, tossed into the, the fire. And, and it, again, this type of witch hunt does not make it any better. Yeah. Welcome to social media. Yeah. Someone actually raised uh, the comment of, well, don't you have a daughter? I can't believe you're supporting Aspire. <laughs> At no time did I support Aspire. In fact, the first time I saw it, I'm like, this has to stop. And if you look at RSP's <clears throat> tweets, I was vague, but I'm like, be a better human being. We've talked on the show how that we don't stand for any of this crap. And again, the people who've been in Van- Vancouver Titans long enough know that I have gone after the organization when their own players have liked tweets promoting misogyny. Like these are not issues we take lightly and we've been called boomers and other, you know, derogatory terms based on our age. And that's okay to me, but to come after and involve my daughter, 
I mean, the three of us are fathers. We get this. We want a better world for our kids to grow up in, and we know we're not there yet. Hmm. Anyhow, as much as I would hope this is the last that we hear of it, I know that that won't be the case. And I should also qualify that statement by saying, I think there is more to the story. I feel that the victim should pursue this as they see fit, because at the end of the day, she is who matters in this the most. I choose to believe the victim, but I also acknowledge the processes that are at play in a court of law or courts of law, because we're talking about geopolitical issues between multiple jurisdictions here are far too complex for three hobbyist podcasters to deal with. Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's, I don't know. There, there isn't, there's a lot to say and there's not a lot to say. Um, Cause everything, everything you said is right. It does feel a little bit like I, I would wonder how other orgs would handle things differently. Um, I was cool. surprised to see the, the announcement that Aspire was just gone. Um, because I think a lot of other orgs would have taken a more metered approach. And yeah. this is in no way me saying that Vancouver handled this incorrectly. Um, they obviously very obviously have a zero tolerance policy for this. And it seems like once the information reached a certain point, that became very obvious. Zero tolerance, you're gone. Um, and not to not to interrupt, but like there was a real possibility, according to many people, that Aspire could have been in the Toronto Defiant uh, and on their roster when this broke. Like, yes, that wasn't the case. But what's not to suggest that the Defiant knew nothing? Mm-hmm. I, I honestly believe the Van- the Vancouver Titans and the Toronto Defiant would have handled it very similarly. Yeah. But then loosely, we have this nebulous Vancouver Titans organization that even the three of us who were much better connected than some could not tell you about. Mm-hmm. Whereas at least in, with the Toronto Defiant, like I know for certain they wouldn't stand for anything. And I could tell you and point to you the person that would tell you the policy as to which would apply. And, and, and that is a very, very interesting part of it. I mean, that's, you know, we not to take away from the actual issue at hand, but it is very interesting how serious issues like this show you in a lot of ways where, you know, an organization or a company's values lie, because mm-hmm. I agree with you. I feel confident in saying that if something like this were to happen in Toronto, we know what the answer would be. We know what the action would be. And that's because someone like Adam has been very open, not only with us, but he's very open on Twitter. He's responded to tweets before about, you know, other various topics being very, very open and very honest. And it's clear what the company believes in, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas I don't think I would have had that confidence in Vancouver. Now, if I expand that out to the Canucks sports group, if something like this were to come to light on the uh, Vancouver Canucks themselves, I'm sure it would be handled very similarly. Well, it has been. Exactly. Like, <laughs> and that's, that's why right? I say that, right? And so I think you know, this does show that this wasn't necessarily simply a Vancouver Titans uh, issue. It, it does go higher than that, where it becomes who's, who's making this call. And again, I'm speculating just how high it would have to go, but it does seem to indicate that, you know, they are taking a more active role in things. And I, I think it is also important to point out that what we're hearing 
is a tip of a very oh, huge sure. iceberg because, you know, it is quite commonly known within the Overwatch scene what might be going on. Like someone had commented about this is not surprising considering yeah. some of the comments. And my comment to this is mm -hmm. considering how much they've swept under the rug, can you imagine how big that rug happens to be? Like, well, and this needs to be brought up. Like in, in, yeah. in fairness, a Vancouver Titan teammate of his apparently is the one who brought this up just this past weekend, according to the information that's been shared. So there are those who do speak up, but yeah, if this has been a known issue for some time mm -hmm. and from some accounts it has, this is more than, Oh, someone else will deal with yeah. it or someone else will handle it. This is the type of behavior that should not be tolerated in any yeah. corner of the league of the scene in anything. Yeah. Well, and, and, and again, you know, it's, it's funny that you say that because we are dealing with, you know, for the most part, young people, Mm -hmm. You know, I consider myself a young person still, but I'm obviously not, not quite as young as a lot of these players. These young people call you a boomer, Jordan. I'm sure they do. I, I just learned that, uh, one community member is not in fact 39, like he told me. And, uh, I was hurt by that statement. Um, in any case, again, you know, these aren't exclusive to esports either. These issues are, are everywhere. Um, again, you expand that out to something like the NHL. We only see very small amount of the allegations and things that go on. Um, yeah. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to go into that, but no, but uh, like Omni brought up a good point. Th these are young kids yeah. who are role models for younger kids. Yeah. yeah and that does not help. No, no <clears throat> word. I mean, jumping to the end of the show, but uh, word, words of wisdom here, word to the wise, don't idolize people just because they're famous or because they have a large platform. They are people just like you and I. They make mistakes, and some of them are just not good people. Um, yeah. So, great. So, with that said, it's time for us to take a quick pause. The two of you are going to tap out. Adam is going to tap in, and let's hear what he has to say. Anytime I have an opportunity to sit down with Adam, um, I mean, the two of you have had that opportunity in the past as well. It's always a good conversation. There's a combination of things. There's everything that Adam tells you live. And then there's <laughs> when he tells you when things are not. Um, I truly appreciate the relationship that we have with him. And I value how he embraces us and looks to to elevate our, our show and, and involve it. Um, I mean, I shared the story in the interview how in our very first season, um, when he followed us, I didn't know who he was. I just thought, oh, well, some random account. But when he goes and says, hey, these are the types of people that matter to me. And we, I mean, all we did in that first season, Omni, Sam and I, we made fun of the Toronto Define every which way to Sunday. <laughs> and yet, you know, he still supported us. So I think, you know, that speaks quite loudly to how committed he is um, to not only the Overwatch League, to the Toronto Defiant, um, but to the, the, the much broader community, which includes the likes of us. Anyhow, let's talk about what's going on in the rest of the league. Uh, so while the uh, second half of the season hasn't quite yet gone underway, we are still seeing some adjustments in regards to player personnel uh, beyond what has happened in Vancouver. 
Uh, the Hangzhou Spark of, uh, quote unquote, cut 20. Um, and then Rui has left due to family reasons. And as a result, they have promoted Creed to, to fill his place as head coach. The uh, Las Vegas e Eternal, I put LAV in the notes, and it just occurred to me that it's LVE. Um, they've cut Maltel, Vulcan, Lucamino, and in their place have added Knife, Toyu, and Irony. If you would like to see some tea as to the opinion that a few players have on the current general manager of the uh, Las Vegas Eternal, um, Maltel's uh, Twitter account, um, may provide you some some insight there uh the boston uprising have cut dong su as coach but then have brought in moby dick as his replacement and then as of moments ago the shanghai dragons have added fate as their new main tank and fleta is now transitioning into the role of assistant coach so the fleta tank experience is no more yeah lots of movement uh what are your thoughts on, on uh, Fleta and st- going into assistant coaching? You think it's going to fare better than playing tank? Well, <laughs> I mean, you, you raised the point that these are Overwatch League pros. They could you know play well in any role. But when you're playing against other pros, I'm not entirely sure Fleta is the guy I would choose as my, my t- main tank, my off tank, my tank tank. <laughs> yeah, some movement, though. That's uh, interesting to see, especially on uh, Las Vegas' side. Uh, well, I mean, Vegas, I don't think it's surprising because of where they are in the standings, but to have made the adjustments that they have when, for lack of a better description, they win and as a, like a bottom tier roster to start the season, like where did you expect to be and how did you expect to perform? That's what I was going to say is my big question mark is just why why are they making these changes? Like, did they, ex- like you say, what did they expect with, with the roster that they brought in? I think they expected to be a bottom tier team. Yeah. Now they're just I mean, replacing those bottom parts with like, I guess, hopefully upgrades, but at the same time, like, yeah, I don't think we're going to see a ton of movement in the standings from them. And at this point it's halfway through the season anyways. Like, are, are they saving a ton of money by bringing in these players? Like, what was the directive here, you know? Uh, yeah, it kind of reminded me of something that Adam said in the interview about uh, expectations. And, you, of course, they did not expect to win the league and expect it to be at the bottom, right? Um, but there are shades to this. It's not just black and white. You, mm-hmm. you can expect to suck, but not to suck <laughs> so badly that, like, you've become kind of a joke almost, right? There are other... Teams there at the bottom with like the Valiant or NYXL, and they still have managed to have some bright spots and, and good performances. So maybe that's part of of uh, how it all went down. Um, we're not gonna go into the other you know side of it, like what what Malfoy wrote. So, <laughs> <laughs> but but there sure be a turmoil there cooking, well, uh, and hopefully. Without getting into detail, I mean that turmoil could have contributed to it because For sure. if there's, yeah, if there, yeah. if there's well, active turmoil, when true. something has to change, when when you when you uh, lose so much, there's sure to be a turmoil, mm-hmm. regardless of what what you know if there are any other factors outside of of your performance. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, 
to sort of draw parallels to what we saw with the Toronto Defiant, let's say last season, there were rumors that there was a situation where coaches and players may not have seen eye to eye. Whether there's truth to that or not, we don't know. But change occurred. And that is a contrib- potentially contributing a factor. Something very similar could have occurred here. But I, yeah, I, I I don't see how this get, makes them better. And maybe that's not the goal. Maybe the goal here was to get through and then press the restart button. And there are still questions about what next season will look like. Um, we haven't really got into this because, again, when it comes to rumors, we try not to, to you know, proliferate them anymore. But I think Adam had actually said in a, a separate interview elsewhere that there has been exploration as to whether or not like tying teams to a specific regional location is the future. Mm-hmm. Um, there is the possibility that we'll start to see uh, sort of franchises exist in a space and that could be, you know, an entity as opposed to an area. And if that's the case, is something like, you know, what Vegas is doing in preparation for that? Or have they started to tap out like Chengdu has? Like, we don't know. Hmm. Anyhow, um, I imagine we'll see some further adjustments uh, before things get underway in a couple of weeks time. But uh, it is interesting to obviously see this, this take place. And I'm in the past curious about like, well, visa issues and such, but knowing at least here in Canada the ability to get a visa for, you know, Korean players is much easier. Um, You know, I know that doesn't necessarily help those teams in the United States, but there are pathways that exist. Mm -hmm. Uh, The only other thing that's really taking place uh, within the world of Overwatch is the uh, Overwatch World Cup. Uh, Have either of you watched any of the matches? I did a little bit. I I dabbled. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It's funny. Sometimes you'd get, like, uh, extremely niche play tiles and you get to see lots more chaos and, and one-sided uh, roles. Uh, some good games in there. I, I found the, the formatting to be the most uh, like weird experience. Like the Best first to two. Yeah. Yeah. So, but it's, it's, it's cool. It keeps like Overwatch content coming. At least that's, that's uh, always a good thing. I, yeah, I, I oh, Go ahead, Jordan. I was going to say, I feel like the one nice thing to see about it is that it has actually drummed up a fair amount of interest in Overwatch, right? Oh, it yeah. seems like viewership these, is great. Yeah, these streams are getting a good amount of viewership. There's a ton of talk on Twitter about it. Um, obviously, there was a little bit of uh, controversy towards the end of the weekend there with respect to the World Cup as well. But, um, man, it's it's been a bad time in Overwatch right now. <laughs> uh, I was talking positive. It... It was a lot of fun to see a lot of players that we don't necessarily recognize. Um, obviously, right. see some that we do, see some former uh, OWL-level players playing for their teams and representing. Um, yeah, it was jarring to see the, the first to two, especially, you know, when in a match like Canada had, when, you know, you're, you're hoping to at least get a, get around, but uh, Canada, unfortunately, didn't do so hot in their first match. Uh, in their first match against the U.S. Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I so I, I that was the match I watched. Um, it was sort of timing wise, it worked out into my schedule. Um, and I've watched a little bit here and there. Mm-hmm. I I like that it's drumming up sort of much broader support. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish they did better promoting or had 
like a better job promoting it. This is what I talked about last week. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Like everything that you're saying, I'm now looking, I'm like, Oh man, I I wish I, I wish I was really hyped for these matches. You know, I wish, I wish I was seeing it everywhere, even from the accounts themselves, you know, the team USA, team Canada accounts. Yeah. They tweet about it a little bit here and there, but you got to follow them. It's not really amplified. You're not seeing it circulated very much. Like I really think that, you know, although we know that these teams have a, quote unquote social media manager. I think most of the teams were basically given three positions, a, a general manager, a, a head coach and a social media person. It feels like that social media person should have expanded their network, you know, engaged some popular streamers to be like, let's promote this the week leading up to and everything like that. Or well, something. I think they have to some respect cause there is co-streaming on stitch on stitch on Twitch. Yeah. <laughs> Twitch that is happening. Um, We're seeing viewership, obviously, on Twitch become better. I mean, Adam actually spoke about it in his his interview, Ray, talking about, like, you know, broadcast a little bit and um, Twitch, YouTube, and some of the eyeballs, money metrics, and all that jazz. But I think the the big takeaway here is that for anyone who might say Overwatch is dead, this is indicative of something quite contrary to that statement. Yeah, you're wrong. Yeah, it's it's <laughs> is it where we want it to be? No, but I think there there is much more room to improve. Mm-hmm. And ultimately, when we think about competitive Overwatch, whether it be through the World Cup, whether it be through Overwatch League, the Tier Two scene, and what have you, there are probably better pathways. And from the sounds of things, especially having you know now with the league sign this agreement with the franchises, a much more proactive ability to improve upon the end product i think and i don't know with any certainty but it sounds like the league sort of was very top down before the organizations were able to contribute by the end of the day atvi of the league whomever sean miller called the shots not to you know throw sean under the bus but now it's more collaborative in that space and that collaboration is also about taking what they're learning out of the call of duty league and um, what they're seeing through other leagues and how to better enhance the product from a regional perspective, but also from a broader, you know, worldwide perspective. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyhow, um, that's the show longer one, obviously with the interview with Adam. And if we had had more than an hour booked with Adam, I can assure you <laughs> this episode would be even longer than that. <laughs> Adam likes to talk. I appreciate listening to him as I hope uh, the rest of you do. Uh, but uh, what final words of wisdom do you have for our listeners this week? A toll is a toll, and a roll is a roll, and if we don't get no tolls, then we don't eat no rolls. <laughs> That's uh, for people who don't know, a uh, quote from Men in Tights. Mel Brooks is celebrating his 98th birthday oh. on, on wow. Congratulations, Mel. 28th, one of my favorite uh, creators. So yeah, Men in Tights uh, with Carrie Ellis is... Uh, is the main character very good? That is, a, yeah, that is a good one. Jordan, um, I, I just, I don't got anything. This this week has been long already, and as of recording, it's only Tuesday. Um, hopefully, uh, things things settle down in the Overwatch world, and yeah. Well, for me, um, it's not a dad joke. I don't feel 
<laughs> really, it's appropriate to joke about anything right now. But I do want to share something I, I saw uh, through Twitter to, uh, earlier today. Um, the uh, governor of the state of Illinois, the United States, had provided a speech at uh, Northwestern University's graduation ceremony where he talked about how to spot an idiot. Now, if you watch this video, the start off the speech is going to land differently based on your political leanings. I'll let you determine what I mean by that if you would choose to watch it. But he goes on to talk about how um, the people who are most kind in this world often are the smartest. And that really landed with me because he, the premise of his message is not truly how to spot an idiot, but how we as people can become kinder, but in turn, better versions of ourselves. And that correlates to how much smarter we become as a result. And if there's one thing that I can ask for, for everyone is to be the better version of yourself. And that doesn't say that you're not good already but you can always be better than what you are right now so if you're looking for our back catalog you can find it at readysetpone.com the broken website with a widget that works you can find <laughs> us on all the social media platforms at readysetpone we are in pretty much every podcast application including stitcher stitcher which is going out of business and apparently winding down their site product wow. platform but uh we're found everywhere else but on behalf of Omni at Omni Strife, Jordan at Sir Dr. Jam, the host of the One Man Watchpoint Podcast, and myself, Chris at Light Force, signing off this episode with Catchphrase. Catchphrase.